Greetings to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Sunday School Podcast for October 2nd, 2022. That's the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. And today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 25. As the Lord gives gifts to Adam and Eve before the fall, including the gift of marriage. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 25, uh, of course, is the second chapter of, of the Bible. Genesis 1 kind of has the, the grand cosmic look at creation where God creates day after day for six days and then rests on the seventh at the start of, of Genesis chapter 2. And now in, in uh, Genesis chapter 2, it's not, that, uh, it's not so much a chronological following of, ch- of chapter 1 as it is kind of a different view of God creating and, and giving gifts to man. So some might say if, if God created Adam and Eve in chapter 1, then why is he creating man and woman again in chapter 2? And the answer is he's relating the same event just from a different perspective. So chapter one is kind of the big cosmic look at creation. Chapter two is is far more personal, focused on God's interaction with with Adam and Eve. So picking it up at, at verse seven, we have, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God forms man, forms Adam of the dust from the ground, and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. And, and this doesn't mean that God stops creating by speaking. It's, it's, it's very likely, almost, I'd, I would say probable, that God creates man by speaking the dust into man. And what a marvel that should be that, uh, that the human body is, is, is composed of dust, and you and I, under the curse of sin, we see the reverse of this. We see, we see our bodies return to the dust after we die and, and decay. Um, God takes dust from the ground and, 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 and turns it into Adam. Then he, he gives Adam life by breathing into his nostrils the breath of life. Um, breath means, uh, breath is the same word as spirit in Hebrew. So here the, the Lord gives man his, his life and his, his spirit. Um, and, and, and then God makes for Adam a home. There's this entire planet called what we call Earth in the midst of this gigantic universe, all of God's creative work. And on this planet, God places a garden. It's in Eden, it's in the east, and that's where he puts the man, that's where he puts Adam. So that um, while all of the, the, the earth is good, and Adam may certainly wander the earth and enjoy all of creation, he has a home. This is where Adam and Eve will live um, along with their children, assuming there's no fall into sin, because this is, is where God 
places them to be present with them. And this is also why in the midst of the garden then, after God makes all these other trees that are pleasant to the sight and good for food, then God places in the midst of the garden the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Might be that there are groves of the tree of life and groves of, of the, uh, the no- tree of knowledge of good and evil. The, it's a little bit um, unclear from, from the Hebrew, but in the midst of the garden, not just geographically, but as, as the focal point of, of man's existence, God places the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Martin Luther says that this will be the altar. This will be where Adam and Eve and their family are to worship God. They will gather in this place. They will give thanks to God for his gifts. And, and, and in their worship, they will take from the tree of life and they will, they will eat and receive God's gift of life. And they will also worship God by obeying him and not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So in this entire universe, there is this planet Earth for Adam and Eve. On the planet, there is this garden, this beautiful garden. um, And that's going to be home where where God comes to walk with Adam and Eve and where Adam and Eve gather to to worship God at these these trees. Now we have this brief interlude here um, at verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers, The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Now, we still have the Tigris and the Euphrates rivers in our world today. They're around the the nation of of Iraq. Um, Keep in mind, though, that between us and Genesis 2, there is this worldwide flood. And so those rivers are are doubtless rerouted in in those 40 days of of torrential rains and, and the fountains of the deep welling up. It's not so much that God puts these verses in to give us the location of Eden, though we have a general idea from it. Rather, there's this this interesting note here that that this river becomes four rivers. Normally, rivers join together to become one big river. This one big river becomes four big rivers to, to water Eden, to water the garden. And, and this is looking forward, I think, to a couple of passages. One of those passages is Ezekiel 47, where Ezekiel has a vision of the temple in Jerusalem, and a river is flowing out of the temple. And as that river flows, it gets deeper and stronger. The idea being that God is giving the water of life from the temple, and, and, and rather than decrease as it goes on, God has more and more to give. Likewise, in Revelation 22, at the very end of the Bible, when John has his vision of heaven, he sees a river flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And that river, too, is, 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 is strong. It provides water, and it feeds the tree of life there. 
So, so these rivers and the strength of these four rivers from the one, um, they, uh, they kind of point forward to how, how God provides water and God provides life. And ultimately, God provides life for us in Christ. Back to Adam then in verse 15, because here God starts to give Adam gifts. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man... And put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. So here is the first gift that God gives before the fall into sin. He gives to Adam the gift of labor. Now, when you and I think of work or labor or toil, we kind of think, I'd much rather be resting and relaxed and not doing anything. But remember, when Adam is given the gift of labor in the Garden of Eden, there's no sin. There's nothing to make labor bad. It doesn't make the muscles sore. Nothing breaks. Nothing goes wrong. You don't have to do the same thing over and over again because you did it wrong the first time. Labor is a gift of God, and it all goes well in the garden. Even now, while we live in a sinful world as sinners, we still derive a lot of satisfaction from a job well done. We still find a lot of worth in our work, even though things go wrong along the way. And you know as well as I do, there is nothing worse than having nothing to do. There is nothing worse than being bored. God didn't create Adam and Eve to be bored so he gives them the gift of labor. They have something to do, and that something to do is, is to take care of his, of his creation here, specifically to take care of the garden, to work it and keep it. So gift number one in a perfect world is the gift of labor. The second gift comes right away in verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden... But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Here, God gives to Adam the gift of his word. Now, Adam knows how to please God. In fact, Martin Luther says that by, by giving this gift to Adam, God makes him into Pastor Adam. He gives his word to tell to others. So, how will Eve know which tree to eat from and which tree not to eat from? Adam will tell her. How will the kids learn? Adam will tell them. God has given the gift of his word to Adam so Adam knows how to please God. And just imagine, without a fall into sin, how easy confirmation class would be. The first commandment. What is the first commandment? Eat from that tree, not from the other one. What does this mean? It means eat from that tree, not from the other one. And that's it. Without sin, you've got the commandments down. So now God has given his gift of labor, and God has given his gift of work. And now we turn to the third gift, the gift of marriage and family. We read in verse 18, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. 
I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, some have said this is the first place in the Bible where you find that God is demeaning towards women because he calls Eve a helper. This is not at all demeaning. God calls himself a helper throughout Scripture. For instance, Psalm 70, verse 5, God calls himself a helper. Furthermore, what is a helper by definition? A helper is one who helps. Freed from sin, what do people do? They serve each other. They help each other. So God says he will make a helper for Adam, and Adam will be given to help her too. God also says he will make a helper fit for him, which is oh, kind of a decent English translation. It, it, the, uh, the, the Hebrew doesn't translate very well into English here. What God is saying is that the helper he creates will not be the same as Adam, but will be complementary to him. In other words, God is saying right here, he's not going to create another dude. He's going to create a woman. Adam and Eve will be different. One will be man, one will be woman. And in being different, they will complement and help each other. All right. So God declares he will make a helper fit for Adam. And we read in verse 19, Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper fit for him. Now, this isn't a huge point, but um, Luther brings out that, that, that Adam names the animals because he has an incredible amount of wisdom and knowledge. Because God has created this perfect man with a perfect mind, and his mind is uncluttered by sin. You know, they used to say scientifically that at any one time, 10% of our brains are working. And, and that's been disputed since then, but you know you don't think as clearly as you want to. You're no, you know you're, you don't know as much as you could, and you know you're not as wise as you should be. Imagine a brain uncluttered by sin where 100% of it is working with wisdom and knowledge. That's what Adam has. God grant that that's what we will have in heaven. Adam names all the animals, the walking things, the flying things, the swimming things. And we read, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. I kind of like the drama here. God builds a suspense, all these animals, not one single helper. And then we read of the creation of Eve. Verse 21. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So this is, uh, this is interesting stuff where God created everything by speaking. He gets to Adam and forms him out of dust. 
And now he creates Eve out of a rib from Adam's side. Why? Now, I've heard it said before that, that, uh, that God created Eve out of Adam's side because he, he wanted her close to his heart. And that's, you know, it's, it's, it's cute. But there's something much bigger going on here. Adam is in a deep sleep. Eve is created out of his side. Fast forward to the crucifixion of Jesus in John chapter 19, where the soldiers come to break the legs of, 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 of the, the crucified, and they see that Jesus is already dead, so they don't break his legs. And we read in John 19, verse 34, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, St. John, who wrote the Gospel of John, also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And in 1st John chapter 5, John, getting very sacramental, says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So here's the parallel we have. To create Eve, God puts Adam into a deep sleep, opens his side, takes out a rib, and forms Eve out of Adam. To create the bride of Christ, the Eve, the mother of all the living in the church, God puts his son into a deep sleep, opens his side courtesy of a Roman soldier's spear. And it's not a rib, but blood and water flow because John is making the sacramental point. How is the bride of Christ created? By water and holy baptism. How is the bride of Christ created or rather sustained and strengthened? By the blood of Christ, which cleanses her of sin by the blood of Christ given to, to God's people in his supper. So, Eve is formed out of the first Adam's side. The church, the bride of Christ, is is created, born out of the second Adam, Jesus' side, when he dies for the sins of the world. So with his creation of Eve, God is already looking forward to and pointing out how Christ will die to redeem his people, die for the sins of the world. And, And God is doing this even before there is sin in the world to be redeemed from. So the Lord uh, made the woman out of the rib he took from the man, and he brought her to the man. In verse 23, then the man said, This, at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now, of course, the old joke is that, you know, Adam said she shall be called woman because when I saw her, I said, whoa, man. And the great thing about that dad joke is that it also works in Hebrew because the Hebrew word for man is ish and the word for woman is isha. And so when Adam saw the woman, he said, ish, ah, if we want to be a bit more textual, then Adam calls her woman because woman means out of man. And so she has been created out of his side. 
Then we get to gift number three. Now that God has created woman, who is also in the image of God, we know from Genesis 1, we read of the gift of marriage in Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. We kind of have a three-point definition then of, of marriage. One is, is there's a new household here. A man leaves his father and mother, and, and really the, the, the woman does too, but the focus here is on the man leaving his father and mother. He holds fast to his wife, and, and she holds fast to him. And, and some of the older versions use the word cleave. Um, it's not just that they're holding hands or hugging and not letting go. Um, the idea of holding fast is they will, they will serve one another and, 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 um, and cling to one another and value one another more than anybody else. So, so this, is, this is reflected in the marriage vows today to, to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, um, and pledging each other their faithfulness. Um, that's all reflecting husband and wife hold fast to each other above all others. Third, then, they become one flesh. And this, of course is in reference to sexual union. Um, a, a marriage is established by the right and then by, by the husband and the wife having sexual intercourse together, the two becoming one. But it's more than that, too, because it's not just uh, what, what happens on the wedding night, hopefully, not before, um, but, but rather, as, as the two continue to be married, they're not just united and reunited in, in sexual union in their bodies, but they also grow closer together in, in, in mind, in thought, and in love for one another. Um, you know, you run, into, you run into some couples where they can complete each other's sentences because you know what they're going to say, or else they, uh, they might even have the same wrinkles on their faces because they've been making the same facial expressions at each other for years. Uh, that's, that's also included in the idea of the two becoming one. So that's, that's the three part there. The, the, they, they leave father and mother. They hold fast to one another above all others. And the two become one. And of course, that oneness is most of all demonstrated in, in the, uh, the procreation of children who are, are half mom and half dad. Speaking of which, we should also note this. God makes very clear that when he establishes marriage, it's between a man and a woman. It's not between a man and a man, a woman or a woman, or as we see, uh, especially in Asian countries, a man and his mannequin, or a woman and herself. Um, this institution is between a man and a woman. So when courts or legislatures redefine marriage to mean something else, as Christians we say, now, that might be your definition, but that's not what marriage is because God defines what marriage is in Genesis chapter 2. And since he gives the gift, he gets to say what the gift is. So one man, one woman, leaving father and mother, holding fast to each other and becoming one flesh. 
One more thing here. I mentioned before that that the emphasis is the man leaving his father and mother, even though they both do. And that's kind of significant that the focus is on the man in this Old Testament text because it was traditional for the man to to go get his bride from her family and bring her back home to, to, to the family farm or estate or whatever. So for the man to leave his father and mother in Genesis 2, that should get our antenna twitching a little bit. And there's a reason why the focus is on the man here, because once again, this points to Christ. Because Christ, to retrieve and redeem his bride, he left his father when he came down to earth from heaven and was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He left his father for the sake of his bride. And then we have that, that um, really interesting exchange when Jesus is crucified. He sees his mother and the disciple whom he loved, who's, who's John. And he says to his mother, woman, behold your son. And he says to John, son, behold your mother. And we read, and from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So Jesus, who left his father for the sake of his bride and became incarnate and born of Mary, now he leaves his mother at the cross for the sake of his bride, entrusting her to John, and he leaves to go to the grave, descend into hell, rise again, and ascend into heaven. Why does he do these things? To hold fast to his wife to redeem his bride, his church, from sin and death and devil, that he might join his bride to himself, that they may be one by means of his word and by means of, of baptism, by means of his supper. So as God defines marriage in Genesis 2, that's also pointing to Christ. That's also foreshadowing his death on the cross for us. This is why when, when St. Paul quotes Genesis 2 in Ephesians chapter 5, when he's talking about marriage, he quotes Genesis 2.24, and then he says, this mystery is profound, but I'm really talking about Christ and his church. That should make us stop short. You think he'd say, this mystery of marriage is profound, period. Instead, he says, this mystery of marriage is profound, but I'm really not talking about that right now. He's talking about Christ and the church because Christ left father and mother to hold fast to his bride that the two might be one, that you and I might be joined to Christ. Finally, then, we have this, this, this last verse. Genesis 2, 25, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. It's nothing to be ashamed about. I mean, we, we don't know what their body types were. We don't know if they had six-pack abs and, and nobody cared because there was no such thing as pride or jealousy or envy or any of those other things that make us so self-conscious about who we are. Did, did Eve have a crooked nose? 
doesn't matter. They didn't care because there was no sin. As soon as sin comes into the world, Adam and Eve will see that they are naked and they will be ashamed. Not necessarily of their nakedness, not necessarily of their appearance, but all of a sudden with sin coming to the world, God also gives the gift of shame and the desire to cover up, to, to hide from God. And so Adam and Eve will, will create, will, will, they'll first, you know, construct fig leaf outfits to cover up the, the, their parts and go hide in the woods. Um, but for now, there's none of that. Adam and Eve are naked and unashamed because there is no sin to shame them. So that's our quick look at Genesis chapter 2. God gives three gifts to Adam and Eve. One is a gift of labor. One is the gift of the word or the church, really, we could say. And one is the gift of marriage and, of course, family, because that's where children are to, be, are to be born. And even though all of these are now also under the curse of sin, they are still great gifts for life today. To be in a, a good household with a good spouse and God-granted children is a great blessing from God, even in a sinful world. To have honest labor, to earn and, and, and find satisfaction, also a gift of God. And of course, that God preserves his word and preserves his church, so the gates of hell do not prevail against it. This, too, is a gift of God that in, in which our faith is sustained and we have life until the Lord returns in glory. So these gifts remain for us long after the fall into sin, and, and God be praised for that. That concludes our quick look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 25. God bless your further meditations on this text. God uh, bless you and grant you every good gift if you are teaching this to others. And until we speak again, the Lord order your days and your deeds in his peace. Amen.